This is KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is May 19th, and this is the Thursday edition of the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. ICE is in the hot seat due to their surveillance and data collection tactics. The California report gets the lowdown from Dan Bateko, research coordinator at the Georgetown Law Center on Privacy and Technology. And the shortage of baby formula in the country has state health officials warning Californians not to dilute what they have and warns against homebrew concoctions of the human milk substitute. After regional weather, Diana Gamzon, executive director of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance, explains what a new cannabis industry license could do for our local farmers. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California has some of the most stringent privacy laws in the country, including protecting the personal data of immigrants. But a two-year investigation by the Georgetown Law Center on Privacy and Technology has found that immigration and customs enforcement has used a range of surveillance tactics to circumvent state privacy laws, including California's. ICE has spent nearly $3 billion since 2008 on surveillance surveillance and data collection, often using third parties to access the data of millions of people and target people for deportation. I spoke earlier with Dan Pateko, one of the researchers on the project. What kind of data exactly has been amassed by ICE? Our report is one of the very few that's looking to quantify ICE gathering of data and quantify the extent to which ICE has surveilled the entire American people. And so what we found is that ICE is gathering data from public utilities, those kinds of records, they're gathering data from DMVs, and they're gathering data from private data brokers. All of these pieces of data work in concert together for ICE to be able to identify and target individuals for deportation. And how has it done this? And for how long has it been doing this? ICE has been, over the past 12 years, purchasing data and making contracts with private companies to gather your personal information. They've done this by creating contracts with data brokers like LexisNexis and Thomson Reuters. They've done this by going directly to the DMVs and requesting that the DMVs process their requests for information about you. They've done this all without congressional oversight or state oversight. And we found in our report that many of these examples of ICE gathering data about individuals across the U.S. have gone unremarked by representatives in states and cities. In terms of the research you and your colleagues have done, how does this affect a state like California, which already has some pretty serious data privacy laws in place? So looking at the nationwide trend, what we've seen is that every time a state passes a privacy protection law, ICE finds a loophole. And that happened in California as well. So looking in late 2020, Governor Gavin Newsom passes a bill restricting utility usage information from going to federal immigration enforcement absent a warrant. The law says, go get a warrant, go have lawful process if you want access to Californians' utility customer information. Right. That law also went an extra step and making sure that the data doesn't get sold to a data broker. And at the time, this was praised as a tremendous victory for the privacy of Californians. 
What ended up happening was that ICE found a loophole around this law. Our findings show that Equifax and NCTUE credit brokers created a backdoor for ICE, essentially. What happened was that the law limits the selling of customer data, but it's ineffective, near useless, if a utility company is sharing that information for free, like it does when it conducts a credit check. So in this case, what we found was that Californian utility companies were disseminating customer information to these credit agencies, NCTUE, and that NCTUE was then entitled to resell Californians' customer information to third parties, including ICE. And so as of last year, we, we found that about one in two Californians' utility customer data was still accessible by ICE through Equifax, through NCTUE, despite Governor Newsom's law, despite the privacy protections that they that we tried to put in place. All right, that is Dan Bateko with the Georgetown Center on Privacy and Technology. Dan, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thanks so much for having me. In a statement to the California Report, ICE says it uses various kinds of technology to investigate violations of the law while also trying to respect civil liberties and privacy interests. The agency says its enforcement focus is on people who may pose a threat to national security, public safety, and border security. One of the lawmakers who authored the bill prohibiting utilities in California from sharing data with ICE says it may be time for the state to update its privacy laws. San Fernando Valley Assemblyman Jesse Gabriel tells the California Report he's disappointed ICE has been able to find ways around the bill he co-authored. Are there additional protections we can put in place in terms of information being transferred to third parties? that ICE then and goes, acquires that information from, um, you know, are there ways to close some of the loopholes or make it harder for them to circumvent the intent and, and impact of the bill that we wrote? Gabriel also chairs the Privacy Committee in the State Assembly. He says legislators are working on possible solutions in Sacramento, but Congress also needs to work harder at the federal level to protect the data of millions of citizens. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from DrinkHint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. In response to national shortages of baby formula, President Biden has invoked the Defense Production Act to speed production and has authorized the Defense Department to use commercial planes to import formula from overseas that meet U.S. standards. And as we hear from KPCC's Jackie Fortier, the baby formula shortage is also prompting warnings from California health officials. Parents struggling to find baby formula in stores are warned not to water it down or use homemade formula. Babies have specific dietary needs that substitutes, such as powdered cow's milk, can't meet, and it's not safe. The shortage began in February when one of the largest formula plants in the country shut down its factory after several babies became ill after drinking formula. Two babies died of bacterial infections. The Michigan plant will reopen after reaching an agreement with the federal government. In the meantime, you may soon see foreign formula brands on the shelves. The FDA eased some restrictions on which companies can sell baby formula in the U.S. 
For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. And that is the California Report for Thursday, May 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Taking a look now at regional weather, wind is the common theme in our forecast tonight. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, mostly clear with a low around 53, winds could gust as high as 24 miles per hour. Friday will be sunny with a high near 74. Windy conditions continue with gusts as high as 28 miles per hour. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 29. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. On Friday, Truckee and Lake Tahoe will be sunny with a high near 54 degrees and wind gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. And in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly clear with a low around 58. Gusts as high as 34 miles per hour. Friday, Sunny and breezy with a high near 85. Expect wind gusts as high as 38 miles per hour on Friday in Sacramento. A red flag warning remains in effect for the valley until Friday evening. This is the Evening News on KVMR. California Assembly Bill 2691, a bill that would create a new license type, could help small cannabis farmers survive in the fiercely competitive legal market, and it's slowly working its way through the legal process in Sacramento. I recently sat down with Diana Gamzon, Executive Director of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance, and asked her to help me understand what AB 2691 is and what it could mean for Nevada County's cannabis farmers. Diana, I was hoping you could explain to me what AB 2691 is and what does it aim to do? We are so excited about AB 2691, which was brought forth by Assemblymember Jim Wood. This is a bill that's making its way through the legislative process and through the committee hearings. And what it does is it seeks to establish a temporary retail license for producers So farmers, cannabis farmers, wishing to sell products directly to consumers at events. So it enables small farmers to get a license, a temporary license, to sell directly to consumers at up to about eight events a year. This is really key legislation to help small farmers reach California consumers during a a very difficult time for small farmers. What does it mean by temporary? Does that mean that cannabis farmers are going to have to apply every event or every year or? What we're hoping for so that it's easy both on the regulators and on the farmers is that it's a once a year license that allows you up to eight events. So not that you'd have to apply every every time, but that you if you hold, hold that license, then you have the ability to sell directly to consumers at eight events. I've heard people calling it the farmer's market bill. Does that mean that Somebody selling cannabis is going to set up between, say, the kettle corn popper and the heirloom tomato vendor? 
Absolutely not. Wouldn't it be so lovely if that if it was that simple? But nothing in cannabis is that simple. No. There was a lot of media that came out a couple weeks ago, especially from Sacramento local media stations, calling this the, the farmer's market bill and that uh, cannabis farmers would now have that ability. And that could not be farther from the truth. This allows farmers to sell directly to consumers at cannabis events. Cannabis events are highly regulated and are completely separate than any other type of event, like a a traditional agriculture farmer's market. Cannabis events have very strict regulations, such as security requirements, age restrictions, signage requirements, and everything still needs to meet track and trace uh, California uh, regulations. So uh, very regulated. We have retail spaces now. We have delivery services. Why do you think we need something like this? Really, it's what it's no different than traditional farmers. Farmers, whether you're a cannabis farmer or a veggie farmer, need that option to sell directly to consumers. So picture our farmers markets in downtown Grass Valley, our beloved farmers markets in Nevada City, where you can have that one-on-one interaction. The farmers can share their stories. They can talk about the product that they so lovingly grew. And at a time when the price of cannabis is plummeting so deeply, these one-on-one interactions with consumers are so important, both for building brand loyalty, but also to access the consumers. It's really direct-to-consumer transactions are essential component for any business. And um, really, it's why we love going to our farmer's markets so much. I know for me, I want to know how my you know, where my veggies are grown or what farms the animals that I'm, you know, buying the meat came from. And so it's the, it's no different than cannabis and speaking directly to the farmers who grew it. Tell me what people in the industry have said about this. How how are they receiving this potential new license? It's gotten a lot of widespread reception. Um, California Cannabis Industry Association has supported it. Uh, farmers from all across the state of California have come out to support it. There is, however, some misconception, specifically with the urban retailers in, in Los Angeles and in the, the major city centers, but ma- mainly out of Los Angeles, I think fearing some some competition for the ability for farmers to have that limited direct sales to consumers. That does seem like a pretty lovely scenario, honestly. What are some of the other benefits that this new license type could provide? You know, another benefit that's really important is our California cannabis market right now is really set up as a commodity market. Our farmers, especially here in Nevada County, they are are growing their cannabis with, with such care. And then it leaves in turkey bags to a distributor, and we don't know where it ends up. And the ability to, again, you know, correct, connect directly to the consumer, but more than that, through that connection directly to the consumer, the farmer is able to receive the full value for the product that they are selling. Right now, farmers are selling commodity, and there's so many middlemen, but right, if, if with the ability for farmers to connect directly to consumer, that farmer is receiving that full value. And that is what is so important to our small farmers here in Nevada County is for them to be able to really, yeah, reap the, the full benefits. Okay. So assuming that this passes, paint a picture for me. What, what could this look like here in Nevada County? 
I think the there's a lot of excitement around what this could look like. All of our farmers here in the county have a story. Our farmers are homestead farmers. Many of them grow cut flowers or veggies or, or ranch or raise animals. And so I, I think that through an avenue like this, it will provide that one-on-one experience with the consumer. So how this looks like, let's say there's a farmer's market in downtown Grass Valley or Nevada City, there can be a designated area not in the premise of that farmer's market, but in another general zone where there can be a cannabis farmer's market. That's a destination for locals and tourists to come to. Maybe it's once a month. And we see it having music and having craft makers, having it be a community event. Now, again, of course, there's very strict regulations when it comes to cannabis, but it really is about destigmatizing this as something that we are proud of in our community. You know, we have some really great examples of cannabis farmers markets done right. Um, In Mendocino, there's a group called the Mendocino Producers Guild that's been meeting and having regular farmers markets, and they've been getting a lot of really positive press. Those are happening in Laytonville. Humboldt is also having cannabis farmers markets, and what they're finding is it's really stimulating the economy around the farmers markets. People are coming as a destination to experience what it's like to buy direct from the farmer and hear how it was grown and um, really understand how the soil is affecting the taste. And so we're really excited for this opportunity to be an, a, a welcomed addition to our events here in the county. How the soil is affecting the taste. Uh, is it terroir? Terroir. Terroir. Diana Gamzon, Executive Director of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Claudio, for having me. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. I'm sitting outdoors at my not usual cafe. Someone behind me has begun playing an acoustic guitar, but I haven't turned around yet to look. I'm assuming, for no reason except usually it's guys who do this, that it's a guy. The tunes are classical with a little soft rock thrown in, like Linda Ronstadt's one about the fishing boats, whose name escapes me. This is making me happier than I can say. The sound of fingers sliding on strings, the casual expertise, the lack of singing, even now to Buddy Holly's dream. I feel as though I'm in a dream of my own. Some poet friends are in Italy right now and posted that walking home from dinner, they'd come across a string quartet playing Pachelbel's Canon in front of the Uffizi Gallery. This is not that, but it's still wonderful and no risk of catching COVID on a 10-hour flight. I keep trying to teach myself that we get what we get, and if I slow down enough to notice what I'm getting, it often is lovely. But like many of you, I'm a slow learner. Seeing photographs of Florence lit up at night opens a door to the envied department of my imagination that's hard to close. It would be, oh, I wish I could, someday I want, and so on. My great-aunt Nett used to say, tartly, looking down her straight New England nose, if wishes were horses, then beggars would ride. 
This did not make a lot of sense to a middle-class child in 1965, but I knew it was a warning. We didn't have beggars in San Francisco that I was ever allowed to see, and not that many horses either, though policemen rode them in Golden Gate Park. Later in life, after I had left one more disastrous romance, my friend sometimes said, Be careful what you wish for. According to these mottos, the business of wishing is fraught with disappointment and maybe even danger. O oh, piffle. The etymology of wish comes from early 14th century Old High German and means to cherish a desire. If we didn't cherish desires, not much would get done around this planet. Desire motivates everyone. It's when the gap between wish and possibility gets very wide that people start tut-tutting at you. I could go to Italy. I could save the money, reorganize my schedule, and wear three masks on the plane. But I don't really want to at the moment. And that's where being a grown-up comes into the mix. Somewhere inside each of us, a cheerful, pragmatic adult is lurking. A part of ourselves able to look at all sides of a wish without judgment and lay out our options. My poet friends are married to each other, so they each have a travel buddy, which I do not. It's about to be summer, and I need to swim every day, lest I become parboiled and miserable. Are there lakes near Florence? I have no idea. Our local lake is finally 60 degrees, and the air is going to be 85 tomorrow, so I can take the year's first swim. My envy door is almost shut. I'd like to tell you the guitarist is now playing Cherish by the Association, which would make a good ending, but would be completely false. He just left. No doubt heading, like everyone else, for Florence, Italy. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And that's our newscast for May 19th, 2022. KVMR gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City. Locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30. Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And the Village at Palisades Tahoe and North Lake Tahoe Resort Association. Presenting Made in Tahoe, celebrating local arts and artisans, culture, food, and music hailing from the Tahoe Basin and Truckee. That's on May 28th and 29th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Information at palisadestruckee.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks again for supporting your local independent community radio station, 
I'm Claudio Mendonça. We'll see you right here tomorrow at 6 o'clock for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.